Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. Welcome to the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. This is Brewers on Tap. Here's the pitch. A Now it's time to tap the keg with Lane Grindle. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 213 of Brewers on Tap. Lane Grindle with you as always, and boy, we got an exciting week on the horizon for the Brewers. Magic number to clinch a postseason berth is sitting at four. Magic number to clinch the division, which is where the eyes are for the Brewers right now, sits at five. No longer are you paying as close of attention to the Cincinnati Reds number. You're looking at the St. Louis Cardinals. They've leapfrogged the Reds, and the Cardinals are doing what the Cardinals seem to do in August and September every single year. They've gotten hot, and they've put themselves right in the middle of that postseason conversation. So the magic number over the Cardinals is what you're paying the closest attention to, and that number's five right now. The earliest the Brewers could clinch the division would be potentially on Sunday. If they would sweep the Cubs on Sunday... And if the Cardinals would lose uh, at least a pair of games in their series over the weekend, well, then the Brewers would be in position to win the division again, potentially, on Sunday. Now, if they don't get it done through this weekend, and if it carries over into the next week, well, that's good news for the Brewers because they play the Cardinals Monday through Thursday of next week, and so each game is worth two in that regard. So there's a pretty good chance the Brewers in the next week are going to be celebrating the NL Central crown in some way, shape, or form. By the way, the Cardinals this weekend have the Padres, so that's a huge series in terms of wild card implications. Well, it's been a really fun week. Uh, Since we last talked to you, the Brewers, of course, threw a no-hitter. Corbin Burns and Josh Hader combining Eight from Burns, one from Hayter. Omar Narvaez behind the plate. Spectacular play by Lorenzo Cain to end the eighth inning in right center field. It had everything you would have wanted from a no-hitter. Just the second in Brewers history and the first one in 34 years for the crew. There's a lot of numbers that we can dive into, whether it be just this Brewers starting rotation in general or Corbin Burns and what he's been able to do specifically. We are going to look at the case for Corbin Burns as the National League Cy Young Award winner 
coming up in Sabermetrics 101, so you're going to want to listen to that. We're also going to play the highlights of that no-hitter for you as well here in the podcast, and we're going to talk to Corbin Burns on the podcast, so it's going to have everything coming your way on this edition of Brewers on Tap. We're going to really celebrate that no-hitter because it took 34 years to get the second one. We waited long enough for it. We're going to enjoy it. We're going to talk about it. It's a lot of fun. Brewers sitting at 89 wins, so the next one gets them number 90, which is a, a big deal. The Brewers... Uh, are going to celebrate winning 90 games because that's a really hard thing to do in baseball. And the Brewers have kind of made a little bit of a habit out of it over the last couple of years. Of course, they won 96 in 2018. They were at 89 in 2019. Last year, nobody had a chance to win 90 games because there's only 60 games played. And this year, they're going to get to 90 wins yet again. The fourth best record in baseball right now for the Brewers. They will be the fourth team to get to 90 wins in Major League Baseball once they get that number achieved. Brewers right now on pace for 99 wins. That would break the record for the franchise. The record is 96. The 11 team did it and the 18 team did it in 163 games. 163 or 163. That was the 96th win that year. They won 95 through 162. Brewers uh, got the Cubs this weekend, then as we told you, the Cardinals, and then they go on the road as well. After a weekend series with the Mets at home, they go back on the road, face the Cardinals and the Dodgers, and that's how this season will end up for the crew. You got Hauser on the mound on Friday night, Burns is going to go on Saturday night, and then Eric Lauer is going to go on Sunday for the Brewers. All right, let's jump into Sabermetrics 101 as we take a look at the candidacy for Corbin Burns as the NL Cy Young. Let's crunch the numbers in Sabermetrics 101. All right, as you look at... Corbin Burns' candidacy for NL Cy Young. Most of the experts seem to believe this is currently a two-person race between Corbin Burns and Max Scherzer for the NL Cy Young. Now, there's a couple of other names that could factor into that mix at one point. Brandon Woodruff was squarely in it. At one point, Freddie Peralta was squarely in it. Zach Wheeler has put together a great year. Certainly, Walker Bueller, the teammate of Max Scherzer with the Dodgers, could probably put himself into that conversation. But for all intents and purposes, this comes down to two guys. It comes down to Corbin Burns and Max Scherzer. And there's all sorts of different metrics that you can look at to stack these two up in terms of their value. In terms of war for pitchers, according to baseball reference, Scherzer has the edge, but barely. 6.0 war. Bueller has 5.8 war. Burns has 5.3 war. Woodruff has 5.2 war. Uh, Kevin Gosman at one point was in this conversation, but he has faded down the stretch here in the second half for the San Francisco Giants in terms of being in the NL Cy Young conversation. So baseball reference and their version of war certainly gives the lead or the consideration to Max Scherzer there. He, he would he would own that category um, in that regard. Now, there's other versions of war, which is confusing for all of us, of course, <laughs> but there is other versions of war that show uh, our guy, Corbin Burns, leading in terms of, of war. So it, it depends on what you value and, and how you want to calculate it, but uh, Corbin Burns is definitely in that conversation. Because it, it, look, if you go to 
Fangraphs, Corbin Burns is the number one pitcher in the National League, according to War. He has a primary war of 7.1 and a total war of 7.2. And uh, when you start looking at, uh, you know, where does Scherzer come in on that, he's at 5.2 and 4.5, according to Fangraph. So it kind of depends on what you're what you value and where you're going in terms of war. I think the more easy to digest numbers are the ones we've traditionally grown accustomed to. Now, a lot of people will say that earned run average is not an accurate way to value a pitcher. I still think it is. I still like it. Um, I don't think that there's any bonus points for dismissing earned run average. I think it still has value and it still has a lot to do with how we perceive a pitcher is pitching. Um, and, and Scherzer does lead in that c- category, 2.17 ERA. Burns right behind him with a 2.25. That is close enough that one bad outing from Scherzer, a couple more brilliant outings from Burns, and uh, that could flip still before it's all said and done. So that is certainly um, you know, within the margin for error right now in terms of earned run average. Those are the top two ERAs in all of baseball. Uh, wins, I will say, don't matter. I don't think that very many people look at wins. You get to 20 wins, somebody's going to pay attention to it, but it's not a slam dunk that that means you're going to win the Cy Young. And for the most part, wins, especially with the way the game is managed now, not probably going to have a big part in this conversation of who should get the NL Cy Young. Walks and hits per innings pitched, very close again. Scherzer, 0.82. Burns, 0.91 in that category. Again, the top two in baseball from that standpoint. Hits per nine innings, Scherzer's number one at 5.5. Burns is number four at 6.5, right behind his teammate Brandon Woodruff at 6.4. And how about this for if somehow the Brewers and Dodgers got locked into a series, and there's a lot that would have to happen for that uh, to take place. One, the Dodgers likely, if they don't win the West, would have to win a wild card. Then they'd have to win their divisional series in the West also to get to the NLCS before the Brewers would face them. So a lot would have to happen, and the Brewers would have to win their divisional series against what looks like the Atlanta Braves in order to face the Dodgers. So there's a lot of uh, you know obstacles that have to be cleared before these two teams would lock up in the NLCS like they did in 18. But the top four pitchers in baseball in terms of hits allowed per nine innings, Scherzer, Bueller, Woodruff, Burns. You think... Offense is going to be stingy in that series, even though you have some great position players and some great hitters uh, between those two teams. So there you have that statistic. Bases on balls per nine innings pitched. Walks per nine, essentially. Burns is second behind Nathan Eovaldi. He's right in front of Scherzer, who's third, 1.7 to 1.83. Innings pitched is where Scherzer certainly has the advantage, it would appear, over Burns. Uh, neither guy in the top 10 in terms of innings pitched. Um, and that's that's pretty understandable. Here's where I think Burns has a big argument. Strikeouts per nine innings. He's number one, 12.4. Strikeouts per nine innings. Think about that. Scherzer's right up there too. He's third with 12.167 strikeouts per nine innings. They are fourth and fifth in the terms of overall strikeouts. And yet again, Remember, they're not in the top 10 in innings pitched, either of them. Scherzer's fourth with 219 strikeouts. Burns is fifth with 210 overall strikeouts. Uh, So, you know, there's just a lot here that you like. Of course, in terms of strikeouts per walks, Burns blows away the competition, 7.2. 
But who's number two in baseball? It's Scherzer, 6.6. You get the point. These two guys are near the top of every statistical category. And this is going to be a really close call, I think, for the voters between these two when it comes to the NL Cy Young. Burns gives up the least hard contact. He's giving up just .296 home runs per nine innings pitch. Now, Scherzer is not in the top ten in that category. And I do think in today's baseball, uh, that works. That plays very well for Burns in the conversation. Adjusted ERA plus, if you want to get into the the, the, the bigger numbers in terms of, of analytical uh, approach to this, Burns is number one, 188. Scherzer's number two at 186. I mean, they are just close in everything. The one that I think I put a lot of value in is fielding independent pitching. It really tells the story of just how dominant the starting pitcher has been um, with defense not really included. You kind of subtract the defense out of the equation. It's just isolated on how is this guy pitching. Burns is number one in a landslide, a 1.50 number for fielding independent pitching, which is basically the ERA if you take the defense out of it. Scherzer is five at 286. So he's been helped by his defense. Burns not that he's been hurt by his defense, but it's just that dominant that he has been that good even without his defense. Uh, it, it's just it's it's really incredible. The numbers for Burns just you keep going through all of it, and he grades out right near the top. But again, I think Max Scherzer's going to be right there too, and so it's going to be very interesting to see who ends up winning the NL Cy Young. 0-2 on Bradley. There's a swing and a miss. Strikeout number 200 on the season for Corbin Burns. Two balls, two strikes. Now, Framil Reyes. Curveball. Got him looking. Strikeout number 10 for Corbin Burns. The last three in a row have all been looking, whereas the first seven were all swinging. The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Narvaez applies the tag, and it is a baker's dozen for Corbin Burns. 13 strikeouts through seven no-hit innings here in Cleveland tonight. Miller, the only hitter in the lineup that has not struck out tonight, the 1-1. Swing and a line drive right center field. Kane made the catch! Oh, what a play by Lorenzo Kane in right center. A headlong dive. And he preserves the no-hitter through eight innings. There's always one play that you'll always remember in the special nights. That one was it from Lorenzo Cain. A strike away for Burns and Hayter trying to finish it off here in Cleveland. Hayter ready to work. He's at the belt. Here's the stretch. The one-two. A swing and a miss. Narvaez blocks, throws to first. Peterson touches the bag. Ball game over. It's a combined no-hitter for the Milwaukee Brewers. Corbin Burns and Josh Hader do the job here in Cleveland. Just the second no-hitter in franchise history. The first since April 15th. 1987 when Juan Nieves no hit the Baltimore Orioles. Josh Hader and Corbin Burns do the trick against the Indians tonight.
Corbin Burns is joining us here as uh, we reminisce on a historical night for the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club. And for you yourself, uh, another dominant start from you. Um, you're chasing a Cy Young Award as well, and so you're trying to go out there right now and just do your thing and, and, and be consistent like you have been all year. And I know you've gotten this question a lot already, but at what point last night did it kind of click in with you that, hey, I got a shot to do this? Yeah, I think once we got through the sixth, um, you know, I think when I, when I looked up there and saw the pitch count was still, you know, at a decent mark, um, you know, I thought that it was, you know, going to be possible. Uh, you know, we were just getting ready to go through the uh, lineup for the third time, so it was going to be tough. Um, but I mean, Omar was calling a was calling a great game back there last night, um, and you know, obviously the the great play by Locan and great plays on defense behind us um, you helped us get it done. But yeah, I, I think once we got through the six, maybe um, was kind of when it came into mind and. Once we got through seven, the pitch count was pretty high. I, I had to beg pretty hard for the eighth, um, so it, it would definitely have been tough to, to try to get out there and get the ninth. It looked like you had started lobbying for the eighth inning before you were even coming off the mound after uh, you got the final out in the seventh. Yeah, once I got that punch out, um, I, I wanted it to be known that I was, I was still good and, and wanted to go back out there. <laughs> We've talked a lot about your cutter and how dominant it's been over the course of this year. But the emergence of the curveball, I think specifically over this second half of the season, that's really turned into a big swing and miss pitch for you. Yeah, the curveball just just gives me um, you know a different speed, a different look um, to get them off the uh, you know the cutter and the slider. The, the, the cutter and slider, if, if you're up there looking for something hard moving away, you can you can hit either one. Um, so for me against right-handers, that just gives me the you know the ability to kind of kind of bounce the eyes, change the eye level, slow things down. And then uh, you know, steal a strike early on. Lefties allows me to kind of steal a strike on the backside and you know get their eyes looking away, so I can run that cutter in. So um, it just gives me an, another another depth, another option um, that I think is making you know the cutter and the slider even better. Corbin, did you change your approach to their lineup second and third time through at all, or did you just stick with the original game plan? And did you see them make any adjustments at the plate? No, that was pretty much. Um, I mean, we stuck to the game plan all night. Um, you know, something that we eventually wanted to get to was was getting that getting that sinker more in on right-handers, and we never really actually got to that because we didn't need to. Um, yeah, you know, they, they they did start to make an adjustment a little bit. Um, one I noticed most was was Miles Straw after his first AB, tried to close off and you know try to try to punch something the other way. Um, so you know they they were definitely up there fighting, um, you know, trying to do the the best they could to try to throw me off my rhythm. Um, you know, I think they kind they kind of went through phases of hey let's let's get aggressive on a swing early, let's 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 sit back a little bit, let's get aggressive again. So they they were doing what they could, but um, you know Omar did a great job of, of keeping them off balance. There's always that one play. Lorenzo had the play to end the eighth inning, and I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that he was the one that made that play because of all the highlight reel plays he's made over the course of his career. What was your reaction off the bat when Owen Miller hit it, and uh, what was your reaction once Lowe made the catch? Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty good pitch. It was, it was, it was a good curveball at the bottom of the zone, and, and Owen went down and got it and uh, you know punched that thing to right center. And off the bat, I was like, you know, it was, it was hit pretty pretty well. Um, you had had a little bit of air under it. Um, you know, obviously just enough for, for Locaine to track it down. But when I turned around and saw him, he, he had a pretty good beat on it. I knew he was going to catch it. Um, yeah, it's something that we're, we're kind of accustomed to seeing low out there is, is making those diving players or jumping on the wall and making plays. So he's, uh, he's, he's one of the best defensive center fielders in the league for a reason. You will certainly get more opportunities to hopefully have a complete game no-hitter at some point in time. But to share it with Josh and Omar, who, as you already mentioned, did such a great job behind the plate, 
But to share it with Josh, uh, who I know you're close with and, and who has meant so much to this organization with what he's been able to do at the back part of games, and really when you think about this team in general and the way everybody has contributed, that has to be kind of special, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when Counts told me that I was done um, after the eighth inning, he said, hey, he's like, hey, you're done and we're going to have Josh finishing off. And so that's obviously if there's, if there's one person you want to finish off off your no-hitter, it's, it's, you know, it's the best closer in the league and it's Josh Hader. So, um, you know, there, there was no doubt in I think any of our minds in the dugout that Josh was going to come in and, and, you know, slam the door shut. And uh, then, you know, then we can go and, and celebrate and, um, you know, enjoy what we did happen, happen to do out there. Yeah, 16 total strikeouts, 14 from you, two from Josh. What was the aftermath like for you in terms of just letting it all sink in and understanding what had happened? Yeah, it was crazy. Um, you know, went in and, uh, you know, text my wife immediately. And, um, you know, she, she was like, you know, I always wondered where I, where I was going to be with, with your first no-hitter. And obviously she would have loved to have been here, but, um, you know, she was at home watching it. And um, so she was excited. Family was excited. Um, you know, get, getting to go in there and share it with the teammates um, was obviously is, you know, special as well. This is, a, this is a pretty special team, and I think what we've done so far this year is, has been pretty impressive, and you know, I think we're only getting better. Corbin, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yep, thank you. Well, that was a lot of fun. We certainly appreciate Corbin Burns for giving us the time on the show. Some other big news came out this week, and because of the no-hitter, it took us a while to get around to talking about it, but Ryan Braun made it official. He announced his retirement on Tuesday. He's going to have a ceremony in the final home game of the season, and boy, what a career for Ryan Braun, a guy that came up big in all the big moments for the Brewers over the years, such a clutch player and uh, just an incredible resume when it's all said and done. And I, I know I speak for uh, everybody when I say that uh, we are all grateful we got a chance to see that swing in uh, American Family Field over the years. Just a tremendous, tremendous talent and a part of some of the biggest Brewers moments over the past couple of decades. A lot of fun to watch Ryan Braun up close. And we'll miss him, but I think he's going to be around quite a bit moving forward no matter what. We'll have more on the Ryan Braun retirement on next week's edition of Brewers on Tap. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been fun. What a week it's been for the Brewers. Hopefully we have postseason to be celebrating next week as well. Until we talk again, stay healthy, stay safe, go crew. I'm Lane Grindle. Brewers, Brewers, Brewers. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.